0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, October the 4th, 2022, and I am delighted to be with you this morning. I hope that you had a very good Monday, that you are enjoying the fall weather. I I hope that you do have fall weather wherever you happen to be. Today looks like it's going to be extremely nice where I am. It's a little brisk outside oh wait no they've changed the forecast it, it might rain oh well such is life anyway it's good to be with you all oh, excuse me for shaking the table it's good to be with you all again now today we are picking up where we left off yesterday surprise surprise that's what we always do well almost always and where we left off yesterday was in this interaction between Jesus and Martha in John chapter 11. Of course, we know John chapter 11 is the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And I'm going to tell you, I really enjoy these daily devotionals because I preached on this passage not too long ago when we got to 1125, which was when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm preaching through the I am sayings or the I am statement of our Savior. Um, And the reason I really enjoy this Bible study is that I can actually go much more in depth into what's in the chapter as opposed to what I do on Sunday morning. You know, Sunday morning, you always have to pick and choose as a pastor, right? You can't say everything. You could, um, but I'm not Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I can't remember I should know this. He preached like 90 sermons on the book of Matthew or something like that. So, or maybe it was more like a hundred and some odd. I don't don't know. He would spend this massive amount of time on a passage. Um, And I, I, I I keep things moving, right? It's not that I just try to do the surface level, but exhaustively preaching on every single thing is very difficult. And besides y'all know how reading the Bible works, right? As as we, we age, I had a conversation with somebody about this. Who was it? It was Bill and Gail, not too long ago, about how when we read the Bible, you know, it, it may be the same passage that you have read 20 times over again, but the Holy Spirit brings out something new or, or shines a little bit more light on one area. And the reason the Bible always changes is that the Bible never changes. It's that we change, right? The way that we read scripture, the way that the Lord applies God's word to our lives, the meaning always stays the same, but the application of it varies for each of us. And so anyway, I'm enjoying going through this. I hope that y'all are finding this time beneficial as well. Now, yesterday we focused on Jesus and his conversation with Martha. Basically, to paraphrase it, Jesus finally arrives. Lazarus has been dead for four days. We talked about the significance of that. You got that thing going on where there was this belief that was hanging around at this time that somebody's spirit remained close to their body for three days, four days gone. That's probably not what's going on here. The bigger part of this is, is that after four days, decay would have set in. The reason I said it's a big part of this is because, as we'll see pretty soon here, uh, Martha is going to make note of the fact, y'all, this is the NIV, 1984. It's my favorite translation, but I love the King James. Martha would say, he stinketh, right? Okay, so four days has lapsed. Jesus, we left Jesus in the midst of this conversation with Martha, where he gets there, and she says, Lord, we know that if you had been here, he wouldn't have died, right? That shows her faith, Um, and then she said, but we know that whatever you ask for, nothing's impossible with you, and again, I'm paraphrasing here. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha's answer was, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Now, what we talked about yesterday is that Martha had her vision trained on the long run, which is a very good thing to do. Oftentimes, having our vision set on the fact that this life is not all there is, having our vision set on our reward being in heaven, that's the only thing that can get us through the present. Nothing wrong with that. But Martha missed what Jesus could do right there, right then, right there. And therefore, his response to her in verse 25, what we left off yesterday, was Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. And the life. You see, it's bookends, right? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, referring to that which she's just testified to that the fact, and this is in Thessalonians, it's all over the New Testament, the dead in Christ will rise first, right? Our hope is in the resurrection of the body, right? That's a concept that's throughout God's word that, that we're not just going to be spirits floating around for all eternity, we're going to have a body. Jesus is, in fact, the first fruit of the resurrection. Jesus points to that. He doesn't deny that. He points to that. Martha was right in confessing this. In fact, this is really one of the strongest confessions we find regarding Jesus in the Gospels. Prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, she believes. So Jesus recognizes that. He says, I'm the resurrection, pointing to what will happen. But then he also says, I'm the life pointing to what he does right here right now as i said yesterday christianity isn't about someday it's about today it's about right now it's about how the lord is working and then of course he goes on to say he who believes in me will live even though he dies and in verse 26 where we pick up today and whoever lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this that's where we start. Let's pray. Our Father, please guide us in this time. Help us to understand your word. Forgive us for the times that we do not focus on how you work in our midst right here, right now. Forgive us for the times that we are short-sighted, that we don't remember all that you have done, all that you are doing, all that you will do. Father, please help us to take heart in who you are. As we're going to read today, this passage points to what you will do with all of us who are in Christ, all of us who know you. The tomb could not hold our Savior, couldn't hold Lazarus. And when Jesus returns, it won't hold us either. Keep us mindful of these things and guide us in this time. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're picking up again in verse twenty-five. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies." All right, so Jesus is pointing to the nature of us following him. How death does not have ultimate power over us. That's why the apostle could ponder, "Where o' grave is thy victory? Where o' death is thy sting?" Right? Okay. So Jesus points to the fact that death, well, death wouldn't hold him. Death cannot hold us because he came to defeat death. And then he says to Martha, verse 26, where we pick up today, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then he turns the tables on her specifically and he asks, do you believe this? You know, it's interesting that Jesus asked Martha if she believed this. She's just been talking about the resurrection at the last day. Again, I think this enunciates the fact. It brings out the fact that Christianity is not just about what's going to happen someday. It's about who Jesus is right now. And then he pinpoint asks Martha, do you believe this? And so I do the same with you. Before we go on. Before we pick up, before we read the rest of the story, do you really believe? Now, remember, remember this about belief. We talked about that the, this, this past Sunday. Belief is not just an idea that, that knocks around and you're noggin' up here, okay? Belief is what you do. Belief, true belief, is not an idea. It's not even mental acceptance. True belief is manifest in what you do, in how you live. I'll give you another example of this. We can say all day long, oh, yes, I know that God is sovereign. I believe that God is sovereign, and therefore I believe that I have no reason to worry. That's a belief that loads of people say that they have. But then... If they were to examine their lives, and if you examine their lives, you would see, well, they might say they believe God is in charge. They might say they know that there's no need to worry, but they sure do worry a lot. They sure do live a life of fear. They sure do live a life of frustration. They're very quick to blame it, you know. You go down the line, and you shouldn't do that. Please understand me. I'm not saying to go pointing that out about people, right? If you love somebody and and you're close to them, you, you can have that conversation with them. But apply this to yourself, right? You can say you believe something, but if it's not manifest in your life, you don't really believe it. So I'm going to ask you what Jesus asked Martha: Do you really believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you really believe? that nobody who dies, who tastes death, will be victim to death forever, that you will be resurrected in Christ. Do you really believe that ultimate death is not for you through trusting in Christ? In essence, do you believe that Jesus is really the Savior and that he has the power to save? If you do, wonderful. Hang on to that belief. If you don't, if you still live in fear of the unknown, if you're just not certain about eternity, what do you do about it? You believe on the name of Jesus. When these fears crop up, put aside the fear, focus on the Lord, trust in the Lord, right? That's the only way to solve this. Believe on the name of Jesus and be saved. Now, Yes, Martha, do you believe this? Verse 26. Verse 27. Let's listen to her response. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Now, pausing there a second again. We've had this conversation. Again. We come to yet another verse in John, and it's, and it's by no mistake that we come to these sorts of verses in John. When you fast forward to the end of John, John tells us why he's written this book. He has written this and included what he's included, so that you may believe. okay? Believe in who? Believe in the real Christ. that Jesus is in fact, God the Son the one that was prophesied, the one that was to come into the world. And what is Martha's response to Jesus asking her? She believes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. She believes the Old Testament prophecy. She believes what is said in Psalms. She believes what's written all the way back in Genesis, when God was, was doling out, Right, and he gets to the serpent and he talks about how the serpent will strike the heel of the seed of the woman, but, but he would crush his head. She believes that Jesus is that one. You know, in many ways, Martha has the strongest faith of any person that we find prior to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. One of, if not the strongest, okay? She believes in the identity of Jesus Christ. And that's important, y'all. Again, this idea that Jesus is just one of many ways, this idea that Jesus is just a prophet, this idea, you know, don't fall into this stuff. Avoid the appearance of evil and keep away from groups that fall into this stuff. Okay? Do you believe? She believed. And continuing, verse 28 When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, this will sound familiar, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you see here for Mary, the same kind of faith that is present in Martha. Mary and Martha love Jesus. They know who Jesus is. They worship him as God. We find that out. This is referenced back at the beginning of chapter 11 that Mary's the one that wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Mary's the one that poured out this extravagantly expensive perfume that probably was a wedding dowry, poured it out on Jesus' feet, right? And she says the exact same thing that Martha said. And there's no guile in it, there's no trickery. There's no emotional exploitation or anything like that. She's just telling the truth. She says, if you had been here, he would not have died. And then verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Y'all, there are many verses. That point to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Pause there for a moment. Many views, many verses that point to the beauty of Jesus Christ, but it's this verse, John eleven thirty three, that shows us his humanity. Yes, and that he's troubled; he deeply cares. But more than that, his compassion, as Psalm one hundred three says. It talks about the fact that the Lord remembers how we were framed. He knows that we are dust. If you fast forward all the way to the book of Hebrews, you find out that Jesus was tempted in every single way that we're tempted, yet he was without sin. And therefore, he can have compassion on us. He can be merciful towards us. What we see on display here. Now, Martha has come to him and said, Lord, if you'd been here, he'd still be alive. Mary rushes to him, falls at her feet, says the exact same thing. And Jesus stops. Now, Jesus knows what he's going to do. Right? Rewind all the way back to verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, That's all the way back before they even make the journey back to Bethany. Okay, this is when they're across the Jordan. Jesus knows that he's dead. He tells his disciples that he's dead. Jesus knows this. He knows that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet, even though he knows what he's about to do, he stops and he's deeply moved. He looks at what his creation is doing. You know, the idea that God just looks at us as creatures. No. God loves us. He loved us enough to send his one and only son. He places so much value in us because we were created in his image. As the psalmist in Psalm 8 ponders, who is man that you are mindful of him? The sons of men that you care for. And God does. So much so that even though Jesus knows what he's about to do, he stops. He watches them weep. He's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And to continue along, verse 34, where have they laid him? Or where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, but perhaps the most poignant. In light of him stopping in light of him being deeply moved in spirit and troubled, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus, knowing he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, loved his people so much, loves human beings so much, That upon reflecting on the human condition, you might say, well, why was he deeply troubled? Why was he deeply moved? Why was he troubled? You know, this is something that is personal to the Lord. We're never given the answer fully. We can surmise a few things. We can guess a few things. And I think that the best guess is that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and trouble because he saw the effects of death on humanity. He saw the state of humanity and that death in and of itself for those that don't know him is so final. He saw how they weeped and how they mourned. And perhaps it was that Jesus, our Lord's mind, went to how creation was originally created, that we weren't created to die. We were created to live, and yet the wages of sin are death. Perhaps it was over sinfulness that the Lord cried. Perhaps it was over the fallen state of the world that he wept. We don't know. Other than it was in his compassion for us that he wept. We know this in part also because of verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Y'all, this goes to show you there's always critics. Always critics. Um, This is a reality that the servants of God face. Um, This is, you know, there's lots of different ways to apply this, but the statement I want to make about this is cut each other some slack. You know, Jesus is there weeping. Do the people know that they tried to stone him to death just prior to this in Jerusalem, and that's why he left Jerusalem in the first place? I don't know. Do they care? Probably not. You know, they're looking at the things that Jesus has done, and then they say, well, why didn't he do this? It's so easy to do that with somebody. You know, one of the great dangers a pastor can face is critics. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example from this, and I'll use pastors as an example. Right, one of the things that happens with pastors is—is is, uh, there's a book about this, but they, you can call them clergy killers, right? And it's people that keep a running file on all the wrong things that pastors do. And in that file, they say, well, he didn't visit so and so, or when this happened, he didn't recognize it from the pulpit, or when this happened, this happened, and this happened. And y'all, they keep a running file on that. They don't keep a file of all the things that the pastors actually do. They don't keep a file of all the things that were done good and well. And by the way, when you choose to do one thing, by default, you're choosing not to do another. And you can't do everything. We're not omnipresent. And this doesn't just apply to pastors. It applies to the critics in your life. People, once they have a problem with you, they will jump all over you for a mistake that you make. And they refuse to recognize all the other things that you've done that weren't mistakes it is so easy to be a critic it is so easy to criticize don't be like these people you know the, the reason i think that this is included is to show the nature of jesus's ministry to show if nothing else what he had to put up with you know on the one hand you have jesus observing humanity and weeping for humanity And what do you hear from humanity? You hear from some, oh, how he loved them, which is good and true. And then you have from others. Well, yeah, I mean, if he can heal blind people, why wasn't he here? What's his excuse? Y'all, it just goes to show, and and maybe that's why Jesus wept. Again, we don't know. Jesus knew what he was going to do, and he knew what was in a man's heart. We know that from John chapter 2. He knew what was in people's hearts. Maybe he wept because he knew what was in the hearts of all those people around him. We don't know. What we do know is that Jesus was there to remedy this situation. Where we're going to pick up tomorrow is verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, Jesus' heart is on display here, and he is here to do something. There are people in your life that are there to do something to, and I'm not equating us to Jesus or anything like that. But again, I think that these verses here, verse 36 and 37, are put in to really show our nature. Realize, number one, that Jesus sees you, that he has compassion on you. Just as he looked on them and he wept, I'm not saying that Jesus is weeping, but he is moved. He has compassion for you. He is active in our world today. So realize that. But y'all, cut each other some slack. And certainly as it relates to the Lord and the blame game, don't play the blame game when it comes to the Lord. Love each other. Love the Lord. Trust in him. And by the way, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Extend goodwill toward one another and realize that all of us could keep a tally of what we're doing wrong to one another. Love keeps no record of wrongs, however. Instead, love freely. Love truly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we have had together, and we praise you for your Son and our Savior's compassion. We praise you that you love the world so much that you sent him, that It doesn't even make sense to us. You're the almighty God seated on high in all your power. And we're just creatures. But you created us in your image and we're not just creatures to you. Your word tells us we're not the same as the birds or the the animals or anything like that. Instead, you love us enough to send your son. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus's love. Oh, Father, that we would love one another. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Wayne there again. Good morning, sir. And then there's Monica and Becky. And then there's Alice. Good morning. And Rose and the other Becky and Elizabeth. Thank you all so much for being here again. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7. Until then, have a wonderful Tuesday.